coming with power. Uh, the, the scripture is clear that the kingdom is already, the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come with the arrival of Christ. Jesus, Jesus was very clear that the kingdom is not just something future, but that the kingdom has already come. The kingdom is already, and yet the kingdom is not yet. The kingdom has come, and the scripture says that the kingdom is coming. In other words, the king has already come among us. He's already done signs. He's done wonders. He's done miracles in our midst. He's brought the kingdom. And yet there is a day that we're looking forward to when the king comes again, when the kingdom comes, when the rule and the reign of Christ as it is in heaven is here among us even now. That is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the visible, not just the spiritual. There are liberals who would, who would say that we're just kind of waiting for the spiritual coming or the spiritual coming of Christ has already come. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that we are literally waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is God and that as God, he's going to come, the scripture says, in the flesh... And he's going to come so that we see him. He's going to come from heaven. And the scripture says, this is what we wait for. We are not just here to do church. The, the reason we are here is not just to kind of get through this life. And the, and the Bible is kind of a nice little guidebook for us to, to get through life. You know, we need to learn the ABCs of how to treat each other and the golden rule and once we learn all of these different things, then, then we've got it down, and then we kind of just go through the, we muddle through the life of, uh, of this world together, and then that's kind of all that there is. No, no. That's not what the scripture teaches. In fact, there are some here today who are muddling through life. Muddling. Just kind of making it through life. Almost like uh, it might be a young person, uh, but... Uh, an old way of, of thinking, and I mean a worldly way of thinking, we just get through this life, give me my cane, we're just going to get through life, one step after another, and then eventually we just die, and that's, that's it. Listen, this is, this is why we see so much, um, so much um, church absence today. Where someone will come to church for two weeks and you'll see them, you say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Everything going well? Oh, yeah, everything's going good. It's wonderful. Then that person drops off for three weeks and you're like, where, where did that person go? I, I don't know. Well, they're, they're, off, they're off somewhere else or playing football or whatever the case may be, just kind of living life. But when Jesus gets a hold of our hearts, when he changes us, we, we recognize that it's a, it's a whole change of life. And that this life that we're living, even though it's temporal, is not all that there is. We're going to live forever. And Jesus has been talking about his sufferings. The fact that the Son of Man, that is the divine Son, would die. But he's also clear that he is the glorious son of man. 
He is the one who's going to come. He is the one who rules over this universe with justice and with love. And he's very clear that we are going to continue on in our, in our life forever. Some of us are going to end up in eternal destruction. And if that thought doesn't horrify you, and if uh, you're just kind of numb to that, you just think, well, I'm going to just kind of get through this life, and, you know, I'm not really concerned about eternal damnation, eternal hell, everlasting hell. It's real. And even the most hardened person who thinks that they have it all figured out will wake up in a cold sweat and recognize that everything that Jesus Christ taught was absolutely true. And yet for the righteous, those who have the righteousness of Christ applied to their lives, they will live in joy with the King of Kings forever and ever. And one of the wonderful things that we're going to, uh, to know right away when we wake up in that land of glory, and as the song says, with the saints, we're going to tell our story. <laughs> we're going to say, hey, I was, um, I was a sinner. I, 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 I understood this church thing. I thought church people, you know, church, religion, that was, that was all good and everything, but, you know, I wasn't really into it. And then all of a sudden I heard the gospel. Somebody shared with me the gospel in, a, in just a friendly relationship that we had. And all of a sudden, as they were speaking the words of Christ, my heart was, as John Wesley says, my heart was strangely warmed. And I recognize that everything that was said in this Bible is true. And all the people that we're going to get to see that have gone on before us, we're going to get to have conversations with them. We'll recognize them. We'll know them. All the people who have known Christ, who've had faith in Him, who've gone on before us, we're going to have a wonderful relationship. We'll recognize them instantly. I know you. I remember you. You're, um, you're Moses. I remember my uh, friend and I, we used to in high school, just used to think about, what is it going to be like meeting these people? Maybe giving uh, Moses' beard a little yank, a little tickle. Wrestling with these saints of old, who knows? Talking with them, enjoying their presence. See, once a person dies, they don't really die. We live on forever. And all those people who have gone on before us, all those people who, who, uh, who've already passed away, who've already died, are still quite living. They're quite alive. In fact, um, they're waiting for us. And someday we're going to get to see them if we know Christ. And so Christ wants to show us that this isn't just about this life. Yes, there's suffering in this life. And, and he says, look, the way, the, 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 the way of suffering is the way of the cross. Jesus is going to have to take the, the path of the cross. But the cross leads to everlasting glory. 
It's not just suffering and suffering and more suffering and then everlasting suffering. That's not what the Christian life is about. In fact, Paul says it like this, if there is no resurrection, if all this life is about is just suffering and then we die and there's nothing after life, we might as well just go ahead and give this whole thing up. I don't know about you, but I am not interested at all in just following some rules for a little while on this earth just to go through the, the Christian life and just kind of go through it and, and do our thing and go through the steps of Christianity only to die and that's it. That's not why I'm in this. I'm in this because Christ has proven who he is, and that is he is the risen Lord, and that this life extends into eternity. And Jesus is very clear that the kingdom is going to come with great power. Look with me at uh, Mark, the ninth chapter, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Verse 1, he gives a glorious promise. He's been, he's been talking about suffering. He's been talking about the fact that he's going to have to die. Peter has been saying, no, not you, Lord. You're not, you're not going to have to suffer. Jesus is like, absolutely, I'm going to have to suffer. In fact, the voice that you're speaking with, Peter, is the voice of Satan. But he is saying, in essence, Peter, you are unto something because I am truly the glorious one. I am truly the Messiah. I am truly the King. I am the one who's going to come. I am the one who gives everlasting life. The only way to, uh, to the Father, Jesus said, is through the Son. You must know the Son. The only way to God is by repenting and believing and knowing the Son. The only way to heaven is to know Christ. Then he says something very interesting after he's been talking about his sufferings. In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Well, he's not talking about the second return. He's not talking about his return because these guys died. Some people have said, liberals have said, well, maybe Jesus is just mistaken here that he's going to come back and these guys aren't going to die and yet he didn't come back and these guys ended up dying. Maybe we read the scriptures and we look at this and we say, perhaps Jesus was mistaken in this. Of course, we know the scripture is never mistaken. We know that Christ can never tell us anything that is not true. So he's just talked about judgment. He's just talked about those who are going to see him, those who the Father is going to be ashamed of, those that the Father is not going to be ashamed of. And he says to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here that will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. He's looking at them and he's saying, I want you to know, and he's literally saying this. This is not just something he's saying that, uh, that we can just take and go, well, perhaps he was mistaken. Perhaps he didn't understand what he was talking about. Perhaps we just can't get what he's saying here. No, no, that's not what he's, he's doing. 
He's looking at his disciples and he's telling them, he's saying, I want you to understand, I want you to know that not all of you, but some of you who are standing here are going to see the kingdom of God come with great power. It's interesting in the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the transfiguration which is mentioned here, it's in those three Gospels. And in all three Gospels, it's with this same context where Jesus says there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So what is he talking about? What is he actually saying if it's the same context? What does he actually mean when he's saying there are some here who are going to actually see the kingdom of God come in power? Saying you're going to see me, you've seen me suffer already, you're going to see me suffer some more. You're going to see me suffer and die on the cross. But the truth is that some of you who are standing here are going to see me come with great kingdom power. What was he talking about? Well, he's talking about what comes in verse 2. And this is why the context is so important, because in all three Gospels, that verse where he talks about tasting death precedes this account of the transfiguration. So he's telling them that there are some who are going to see him come uh, with kingdom power. They're going to see the kingdom of God with great power. Some of them. Not all of them. The Bible is very specific. This is a historical account. Because it says this after six days in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him. Now here we come to the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise, this glorious promise that he has just given in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. This is his inner circle. You have Peter, and then you have uh, James and John, who are brothers. We've mentioned them before. By the way, Jesus had... Uh, had a close associates, even within the twelve. He didn't have the same relationship with all of the disciples. He had a special or a unique relationship. The scripture is very clear that he had a unique relationship with uh, this inner three, that is with Peter, James, and John. And he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So it's just the four of them. Scriptures tell us elsewhere that he goes up here to pray. This is most likely uh, Mount Hermon, although uh, some scholars are divided over exactly what mountain this is. We're not 100% sure. But this mountain was by Caesarea Philippi. Mount Hermon was about 9,000 feet tall. And so he takes his inner three, he takes the disciples that are in his inner circle... And he takes them up on this mountain, this mountain that is relatively high. It's possible that it was cold. It's also quite possible that this was toward the, uh, toward the evening or toward night because, uh, because the scriptures tell us that the disciples got very sleepy. Seems that oftentimes when Jesus wanted to pray, the disciples were getting tired. Have you ever gotten tired when you want to pray? In fact, it's interesting how oftentimes we'll open the Bible and we'll begin to read it, and all of a sudden a couple things will happen. Either we'll start to yawn, 
and uh, we'll start to, to, to drift off uh, and uh, we'll start to think about other things. I remember I had a professor in, in uh, college, I've, I've done this a number of times, so whenever you get alone with God to, um, to read the Bible and to pray, it's, it's interesting how oftentimes all these distracting thoughts come in. As you're praying, you're beginning to think about, I need to do this, and oh, what about this? And I need to fix that, and I need to do that, and oh, what, I need to go this place and go that place. So he said, just have a little tablet of paper and a pen and just write down your thoughts there next to you. You can just say, kind of like, you know, take that devil. You know, I'm not going to be distracted by that. I'll remember that because I... I've written it down. And that's exactly what these guys are doing. They're going up on this mountain to pray. Unfortunately, uh, they're sleepy. They're, they're going to get tired. It's quite possibly cold. It's quite possibly dark. You can get the, you can get the picture here. J Jesus has just promised. He said, you're going to see. Some of you are going to see the kingdom come with great power. And he takes them up on this high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. He says, you're going to see the kingdom come in power. Now is the fulfillment of that. Some of you are going to see it. The fulfillment of it is the transfiguration here in these texts. They're going to see his glory. There's a, there's a glory of his suffering. There's a glory in his death. There's a beauty in his death. There's a beauty in the fact when we look at Christ and we see him crucified, this man, the man Christ Jesus, who is crucified on this cross, there's a, there's a beauty about it. And those of us who have seen uh, what he is doing for us, oh, that the Son of Man would die for a wretch like me. There's a beauty, there's a glory to it. But there's also a beauty, there's also a glory in this transfiguration. This is a heavenly kind of glory. This is a shining. In fact, in verse 3, notice what happens to his clothes. And his clothes become radiant. So right before them, Jesus is transformed. He's He's changed. And as he's changed, the scripture says his clothes become radiant. They become brilliantly white. They're, they're actually shining. It's interesting in the scriptures how the Bible talks often about the Lord and his glory. And he likens it to light. He likens it to the intense white. In fact, it says as no one on earth could bleach them here in verse 3. You could keep bleaching his clothes and bleaching his clothes and bleaching his clothes, humanly speaking, and you would never get them as white. You would never get them as glorious as the brilliant white which they were transformed into here on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is a, this is a glorious thing. Jesus, here's this one who's been healing the sick, and yet in many ways he seems like a regular guy. He's suffering a lot. He's going through a lot of things. This is why we need to be careful about just following people that just, just seem to have just everything together. They're just popular. They're just famous. Just, just following people for that sake, for that reason. No, no, that's not what's going on here. These guys are following him because they've been called. These guys are following him because they see a beauty in him. 
And now they see him transfigured, they see him transformed, they see him changed right before their very eyes. Flip with me to Psalm chapter 104, please. Psalm chapter 104. Psalm chapter 104. Psalm chapter 104. Psalm chapter 104, verse 1. Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. So sometimes we, um, we come into a place where we say, I'm not, not really feeling like uh, blessing your name. When we say, soul, you're going to worship God. This is, this is the self-talk we see often in the Psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for it says here, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with uh, splendor and majesty. Covering yourself with what? With light. Covering yourself with light as with a garment. Stretching out the heavens like a tent. Here Jesus is brilliantly given light. In fact, it's, it's not light from the outside. If you remember in the Old Testament, when Moses came down from the mountain, the Bible says that his face shone. But it was uh, the glory of God coming from the outside. It was God's glory. It wasn't Moses' glory that was given to him that was shining. He was, he was radiant. He was brilliant. But when Jesus shines, when he shines brilliantly, it's coming from within. It's coming from his divine nature. This is who he really is. This is, uh, this is God in the flesh. This is the Son of Man. So the scripture says that God clothes, clothes himself in radiant light. And here we see Jesus as this divine figure clothed in light. Look at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, and as I looked, Daniel 7, verse 9, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his Clothing, here it is, his clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning with fire. Then if you go over to Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, this is very clear as to who this is speaking of, Revelation chapter 1. Verse 13, Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, like the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. 
His eyes were like uh, a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar, was like the roar of many waters. So this is very clearly talking about Jesus. And this is talking about the fact that he's glorious. He's God. He is God in the flesh. And he is showing to his disciples, he said, some of you are going to see the kingdom come in true power. And now they're actually seeing it come in power right before their very eyes. So he has this white uh, raiment. He has this, this garment that is white as no one could bleach it. It's shining with the glory of God radiating from his very being. And his disciples are watching this up on top of this mountain. Quite possibly dark. And you can imagine the contrast here between the darkness and the brilliance of what Christ looks like. But then something else interesting happens. While Jesus has been transfigured or he's been changed... And there appeared to him, to them, Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. This is, this is quite interesting. Here his, his garments have been changed. He's brilliantly white. The light is radiating from him. And all of a sudden, two figures appear. They represent the law and the prophets. Remember, in the Old Testament, it's very clear that uh, Moses was the one who gave the law. The law came from Moses. He was also a prophet. Now, Elijah, of course, was a, a prophet. These guys were um, unique in the, the way that they died. In fact, the scripture tells us that Elijah actually didn't die. The way that Elijah went was the scripture tells us that he went up in a whirlwind with a chariot of fire. Now I want you to see this. If you go back to 2 Kings chapter 2, if you go all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 2, Second Kings chapter 2. Now, as you're, as you're flipping there, I mean, here, here's, here's what's amazing. Moses has been gone for 1,500 years. Around 1,500 years, Moses has been gone. Elijah has been gone for about 1,000 years. And yet, here they are. Here they are with the Ancient of Days. Here they are with God. And God is saying, look, even though you die, I want to be very clear here, guys, the kingdom is coming and it's coming with uh, great power, and it's coming with great glory. Let me prove to you for just a second that Moses never actually died. Even though he died, he didn't die. And let me show you exactly where Elijah went. This is, this is incredible. Think about the people that have gone before us that we want to meet. Oh, yes, there's many biblical figures. But how about the family members that have died in Christ? You know, when we have a funeral, it's not just, oh, well, praise the Lord, they went to church. At least they went to church, and they had a good life, and they lived, you know, 85 years old till on this planet. It's too bad they got cancer, but at least they had a pretty good life, and then we just kind of all file out. That's not why we're in this. 
And Jesus is saying this isn't just about some Bible lessons and learning about suffering. And isn't it nice that Jesus died on the cross? He's saying, guys, look, I want you to understand I'm the glorious one. I'm the one who has made the heavens. I'm the one who has made the earth. I'm the one who holds your very life in my hands. I'm the one who's going to give you life and the kind of life that lasts forever, the kind of life that Moses had, the kind of life that Elijah had. And as we read this, uh, there, should be, um, there should be hope that wells up in our spirits. Recently at a funeral, when I was preaching at a funeral, instead of just speaking about um, you know, the person's life, what, what people need in, in those times is they need hope. So we began to talk about the new heavens and the new earth. The fact that someday we're going to be given glorious real bodies. The fact that when we talk about eating the supper that we ate here today, the Lord's Supper, we're actually looking forward to a supper when we're actually going to eat with real bodies with people in the new heavens and the new earth. This world that has been um, junked this world with all of its death and with all of its pollution, God is going to restore. And someday, those of us who know him, oh, what a glorious day that's going to be when we see Christ and when our bodies are transformed, transformed into bodies just like his glorious resurrection bodies, not glorious resurrection spirits. Not little spirits that we just wander around heaven with forever. I don't want to go to a heaven like that. And if that's your view of heaven, well, just have a nice little spirit and I guess I'll play a harp. I hate harps. Who likes harps? Well, maybe some of you do. We better be careful. I've played the harp for 37 years. Oh, I'm sorry. Harps. Little cherubs. No, no, no. We're not going to be shooting arrows at each other. Hey, it's Cupid. Jacob, you look like Cupid. What? No, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what heaven's going to look like. Glorious, resurrected, glorious bodies. Listen, here's what happens. You die right now. You say, well, you mean I get my body right away? No, no, no. Listen. You die. Your body goes in a casket. And we all, look, we all look at it. We all file by and we look at the body. But if you've ever been with someone who, who has died, you know that they're not all there, that that's just the shell. And the Bible says, listen, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a person dies and they know Christ, they're fully aware, they're fully conscious, and their spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. Immediately. There's, listen, there's no soul sleep. There's no like, we go to sleep until the Lord comes back. And we're not really aware. If you've ever heard that, we just kind of go down for a nice little nap. For, no, no, no. Listen, we go like this. We shut our eyes. Boom, open in heaven. In heaven. And by the way, we don't need all sorts of movies about people that went to heaven to tell us about heaven. Half of the stuff is not true. Well, did you hear this guy? He spent over two hours in heaven. 
You mean John or one of the, I mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about Paul? No, no, I'm talking about Paul, the third heaven. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, this, this guy said he died and went to heaven. Why don't we get excited about this? This is the book that tells us about heaven. This is the book that tells us what is going on. This is the book that we need to be focusing on. This is why we need biblical preaching and teaching. It's from the book. This is God's word. So we come underneath its authority. We don't just go to the movies to find out what our theology is all about. We go to God's word. So the Bible says that our spirits instantly go to be with the Lord, fully aware, fully conscious, but that someday when the Lord returns and there's one return, there's one return, if you're waiting for like this secret rapture where we all disappear and planes are crashing and that's your theology, that's not what the scripture teaches. Listen, the Bible teaches one return, one visible return. And there is a rapture, but it's at that one return. And the Bible says, that the dead in Christ will rise first and their bodies will now become glorious resurrected bodies and their bodies will reunite with their spirits that have been in heaven with Christ and now we'll be with the Lord forever and ever with a resurrected body so when we die right now our spirits go to be with Jesus but when he comes back listen we're going to get a resurrected glorious body just like the one that Christ has. And this is the, this is the wonderful promise that we, that we have. Now, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 2, which was about 30 minutes ago, but that's okay. 2 Kings chapter 2. We're talking about Elijah. All of a sudden, Elijah, who's representative of the prophets, although, again, Moses was a prophet, and Elijah talked about the law, so it's not exclusive here. But listen, when you, listen. I know we're getting away from this for just a second, but when we talk about Moses and we talk about these figures, when we talk about Moses, Moses in Judaism is like the figure. It's Moses. I was recently at uh, a teaching about, about Jewish people, and of course they, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Some of them have turned and have changed and have repented. So they don't believe in the New Testament. So their main figure, other than God himself, you have God, and then as far as on the human plane, you have, you have Moses. Okay, now back to 2 Kings 2. This is about Elijah. Verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. Now Elijah knew he was going to be, he was going to be taken and Elisha said, please let me have a double portion of your spirit on me. Elisha says, Elijah, before you go, you have trained me. Uh, if there's anything I want, it's to have a double portion of the ministry that you have, the double portion of the spirit. And he said, um, verse 10, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it uh, shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. All of a sudden, Elijah and Elisha are standing there. All of a sudden, here comes this chariot of fire. And Elijah went up in a, the scripture says, by a whirlwind into heaven. 
Think about that. We have Enoch. The Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was not. Something happened with Enoch. Seems like he never died. He just went to be with the Lord. We have another example of something similar here. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Don't you hope Jesus comes back before you die? Oh, I do. Remember, I remember when I was, I was little, just, just thinking, you know, like, this is, it'd be strange to see my parents get old. Now they're getting old. But the hope remains the same. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I, I, I'm ready to go. If you take me right now, let me ask you that question. Are you ready to go? Are you ready? So we say, Lord, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with you. That's fine. I'll go if that's what you want. But Lord, I'd love to see. I'm, I'm really here for, for what the Bible says. And the Bible says you're going to return someday. And the Bible does talk about a glorious kingdom. And the Bible does talk about suffering. But suffering through the cross leads to the glories of the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord, what you're doing here in this scripture is you're giving, you're giving these three apostles, you're giving these three disciples a foretaste of that glorious kingdom to come. The kingdom is here, but listen, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. And so Elijah never died. And in fact, he got a valet right to heaven, Whew, gone. Here comes the chariots of fire, here comes the whirlwind, and, and he departs. Now, let's look at Moses, and we're going to have to close with this. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 34. Very interesting how Moses died. There's no... There's no chariot of fire with, with, with uh, Moses. There's um, no whirlwind with Moses. He just dies. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. According to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. Who buried him? Who buried Moses? God did. God buried Moses. Interesting way of him going, too. You have Elijah going up in a whirlwind. You have Moses. And the scripture says here, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. No one knows where he was buried. Moses was 120 year old, 20 years old when he died, yet his, yet his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. It, it, it seems like with the Lord, the Lord just said, Moses, you've had enough. Moses was still strong, clear-eyed at 120 years old. In fact, if you flip over to Jude, Jude, you, you have Revelation as the last... Um, is, is the last book of, of the New Testament, but then you go back one book. The Lord buried him, but the scripture, scripture is clear that there was, there was a, um, a supernatural dispute over his, over his body. Jude verse 9. 
But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the what? The body of Moses. So there was a dispute. Some, for some reason, uh, the devil wanted Moses' body. That's interesting. There was a, a, a war that was going on. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, if you go back to verse 8, just, just uh, real quickly, it says, Yet in like manner these people, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Michael the archangel, the, one of the top angels in, in the army of God, he doesn't get into this verbal dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. He doesn't sit there and talk to the devil and talk to the devil and talk to the devil and talk to the... That's not what he does. Devil, I hate you. Devil, you're the worst. Devil, I know where you are. Devil, I'm coming after you. Devil, I'll go blah, 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 blah. He doesn't do that. And in fact, neither, neither do we. You know what he said? He said, it, Jude says it, it's proud ones who talk like that. All Michael did was he said this, may the Lord rebuke you. The end. That's a short conversation, right? That's it. Listen, if you have power, the power of Christ, you don't need to go on, on and on and on and on and on and on, on with the devil. You speak to him, but we don't speak in our authority. Not even Michael spoke in his, his own authority. He's a powerful, powerful angel, archangel. And he simply says, may the Lord rebuke you. The end. So now on this mountaintop, if Jesus, before they go to the mountaintop, Jesus says, look, some of you standing here are going to see the kingdom of God come in power. He's not talking about the second coming. He's talking about what happens in context right after that. He then takes three of his disciples to the top of this mountain. And what a sight that was. Peter, James, and John are standing there and Jesus is transformed he's changed light coming from him and all of a sudden two figures show up moses and elijah and they begin to have a conversation with jesus we're gonna have to close there we're going to uh finish uh, the rest of this next week and and go into what happens but here's the thing would you stand with me if the band would come as we close Are you glad you have eternal or everlasting life today? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that Jesus proves who he is? He says, look, I'm greater than, than Moses. I'm greater than Elijah. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus shows up, and yet he predates both Elijah at 1,000 B.C. and Moses at 1,500 B.C. He's their maker. He's Yahweh. Jesus is the great I Am. And this is our hope. This is our hope. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that we have in Christ.
Lord, I thank you that maybe, maybe someone today is just grieving today over a loved one who's gone. And Lord, you tell us that we are to grieve. There's nothing wrong with having tears and even sorrow. But Lord, for those of us who, who know that those who've gone before us, maybe it's friends, maybe it's a relative, who've gone before us, who know you, we know that someday we're gonna see them again. We're gonna see them again. And we thank you, Lord, that right now, if, if a person believes in you, that like Moses and like Elijah, they never die. In fact, they're, they're being taken well care of in, in heaven. In fact, if they could return, they would choose not to. It's so wonderful there. Jesus, we thank you that you are the son of man of Daniel 7. And that you continually open the eyes of the disciples and you open our eyes to who you are. And Lord, I pray if there's one today who doesn't know you. Who's not seen that you're really Christ, the Christ, that the anointed one, the one we bow the knee to in repentance. The one we actually come and surrender our very lives to. Lord, I pray that that one today would say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm tired of playing church. I don't want to play church anymore. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christ follower. Somebody who's been changed from the inside out, I pray. If you're standing here with every head bowed and you're saying, I need the Lord today, you might have gone to church your whole life. But maybe you have no desire. You've not even thought much about heaven at all. You've not thought at all about death and you've just been kind of playing a religious game. Perhaps it's none of those things, but you've come in today and you just say, I need the Lord. I, I recognize today I need him. If I, I've been playing games with God and I've not been thinking about these things. Lord, I pray that you would speak to that person's heart. Is there one here you'd raise your hand and just say, I need Jesus today. I need to repent of my sins. I don't want to go to hell. Is there one? Is there one? I don't want to. Okay, I see one hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? I don't want to pressure, but I, I do want to wait on the Lord. Thank you, Lord. The young man has raised his hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Father, thank you for your spirit. I pray for this one young fellow who's raised his hand. I pray that today, as he says, yes, Lord, to you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, that his life would never be the same. Lord, I thank you even for the young men who were serving communion earlier today. The, these, these guys have given their hearts to Christ. And now another one joins their ranks. And I pray that this place would be a bastion of, of, of young men and young women coming to Christ. Coming to Christ coming to Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.